Welcome to Read My Lips Radio, a lively hour of unscripted conversations with savvy creatives. Producer and host, a.k.a. Radio Red, asks novelists, artists, photographers, designers, comedians, actors, musicians, composers, screenwriters, directors, and technology innovators about their creative passion, inspirational muses, and how they create. Ooh, how those lips can talk. Now, here's AKA Radio Red. Radio Red in the house. Thank you to the voice of Ryan Treasure, formerly with Voice America. We're on the Empowerment Channel live right now. We're also panelists. Wave hello to LinkedIn. Wave hello to Facebook. We are out there in the something verse. This is Read My Lips Live, and we talk about creativity, whatever it means to you. But before I introduce my three esteemed panelists, I want you all, I told you rehearse this. We're putting up our finger in the letter L, make a letter L. And on the count of three, we're all going to say hello, LLL. One, two, Three. Ben, hold it. Hello. <laughs> One, two, three. Hello. Hello. Somebody went too fast. Do it again. One, two, three. Hello. L. 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 Take directions very well. LLL is lovely, lanky Laura Legg. She's our most loyal listener. She has not been feeling well. She got the you know what that made the round rounds of the world about three weeks ago, and she wasn't doing too well. But I think she's listening tonight, and we're sending you a big remote hug. And a kiss, Laura, and we hope you are feeling much better. By the way, Ben and Edward and Ashley, I've been taking up a fictitious GoFundMe. It's the best kind because you never don't reach your limit, you know, to move her to a place that starts with the letter L. Edward knew what I was going to say. I suggested Larchmont, New York. I think some of you are Canadians. You wouldn't know where that is, but it's not classy enough for her. Sorry, anybody in Larchmont. We tried London, but it was too hot last summer. So if anybody has a suggestion of an L place to send LLO, we're going to move her there. So it can be lovely, lanky Laura Legs, our most loyal listener from with an L word. Ben, you're going to have to help me with that one. So here we are. It is March 20th. It is the last day of Pisces in the Western Zodiac. Anybody on this panel of Pisces? Anybody have a birthday? No? Not time? Edward? Nothing? Okay. Me neither. Well, I just want to tell you that Pisces are, and I think this describes almost everybody who's ever on my show. Uh, they're emotionally sensitive. Edward, you can look like you're going to cry now. Um, they're gracious. They're creative. They're imaginative. They're emotionally aware. Are men emotionally aware? I don't know about that one. Sympathetic. They go to great lengths to ensure the happiness of those around them. So I think almost everybody I know is an honorary Pisces. That's just fine. And it's the water sign. It also is March 20th. It's the 79th day of the 2023 Gregorian calendar. And Gregorian, who was Pope Gregory the 13th, modified the Julian calendar because he didn't like it in 1582. So what I like to say is that he was one of our original creatives, not the first, but one of our and his mom probably didn't know that he was going to do great things like changing a calendar that we're still using 800 years later. So there, shout out to Greggy, as his mom probably called him. I have three very interesting guests, and I have to do a shout out, and you're all going to do a shout out with me to Mickey Mickelson, who helps me find really, really interesting guests for my shows very, very frequently. Mickey, thank you so much for always being there with a panel with some panelists, with as many as I need every week when I need them, and you have been wonderful, so thank you, Mickey. So I'll tell you who they are. I have three boundary-breaking creatives. Ed, do you think, Edward, are you a boundary-breaking creative, you think? Sure. Sure, okay. Ben, <laughs> that was very I dry. Hope so. hope so. Ashley, you want to Depends on the day. <laughs> oh, oh, we got a good panel here. So I'm going to read a little tiny bit about you, and then I'll invite you to tell us all more about you. So Edward Willett, the author of more than 60, wow, 
science fiction, fantasy, and nonfiction books for readers of all ages, and he hosts the World Shapers podcast. Those of you watching on LinkedIn and Facebook can see Shapers of World Volume 4 on the right side of his fabulous screen, which he did himself. And he's an actor and a singer, and I'm hoping he will sing for us. Edward, welcome, and I'll get to you in a second. Thanks for joining me. And we have Ashley Wekeser. Did I say it right? Wekeser. Wekeser. Which one? First time. Okay, Wekeser. There we go. She's a composer. She's an interdisciplinary artist in the fields of music and sound, visual art and theater, and Ashley has won awards for Best Video Game Audio Design. Ashley, that sounds like a tremendous accomplishment, so congratulations on that, because that's a busy field, isn't it? Thank you very much. And then we have Ben Monroe, the easiest name to put. Well, Edward's name is pretty easy. Ben is a lifelong fan of the... Horror genre. Mickey sends me a lot of horror, and I don't read horrors, so I'm just doing this, you know, <laughs> from a distance. And a fiction author. He's a former advertising executive. Ben is a former copywriter, technical writer, and a game designer. Ben, wave hello. Nice to have you. And we're going to get Ben to smile once in a while. <laughs> there you go. I did it. So today <laughs> I'm calling the show Read My Lips Eclectic Creativity. Do you all feel eclectic today? I hope so. Okay, so here's what's going to happen. Edward Willett, I'm putting you on full screen speaker view so everybody can see you while you're talking and emoting. And uh, we'd like to know a little more about you than connecting the dots from what I read just a moment ago. So Edward, welcome. Go ahead. Thank you. Well, um, I am an American by birth, but I live in Canada, in Regina, Saskatchewan, Canada. Uh, I started reading and writing at a very young age. And somewhere along in high school, I decided I would be a writer, but I didn't think I could make a living at it. So I started as a journalist, newspaper reporter, photographer. At the age of 24, I was editor of my local newspaper, The Weyburn Review. And a few years after that, I moved to Regina, where I live now as communications officer for the Saskatchewan Science Center. But all through that time, I was writing fiction. And 30 years ago, uh, this fall, I quit my job and became a full-time freelance writer. And uh, four years after that, I married an engineer, which was a really good career move <laughs> from an income point of view. Uh, and I started writing. Actually, my first book was using Microsoft Publisher for Windows 95. So I started with computer books. But along the way, I finally started getting uh, some fiction published. And uh, now I do both. I've written a ton of nonfiction on a lot of topics. I continue to write uh, fiction. And uh, I also have my own publishing company uh, called Shadowpaw Press and another company where I help self-publishers called Endless Sky Books. And you mentioned the podcast. Uh, and I'm currently running a Kickstarter for that book there. Yeah, that we were just talking about, <laughs> <laughs> which I've done for the fourth year. And it features um, guests who uh, were on my podcast and some of the biggest names in science fiction and fantasy. And then because that wasn't enough, I also got involved with... Uh, with the theater, I've done um, multiple operas and musical theater, both professionally and just for fun. Uh, and I've sung with the Canadian Chamber Choir and choirs at that level and currently sing with the high-end choir here. Um, yeah, so that's me. I'm I'm uh, I'm eclectic. <laughs> you you certainly are. I have I have a question for you. I haven't asked this question on the show in a long time. Do you sleep? And what do you have for breakfast, Edward? I want to know <laughs> what, what powers this. What powers you? Uh, I think I, I I do eat breakfast, but not very much. And okay. uh, I don't sleep as much as I should. I think that's the answer to that. <laughs> okay, very good. I just want if anybody wants to emulate what you've done. I mean, I wish you'd do something with your life and get busy, you know, Edward, seriously. Edward, <laughs> it's, it's a thrill to meet you. And, and I appreciate eclectic creativity. There we go. So you, you're the epitome of that. Thank you. 
Ashley, you're up next. I'm going to put you on speaker view so everybody can see you. Tell us who is the real Ashley. Welcome. I don't even know who the real Ashley is. <laughs> <laughs> Touche. Um, I, uh, I actually never thought that I would be a musician. Uh, I went through all of my high school and everything geared towards uh, engineering. I want to be a mechanical engineer or a neuroscientist. Um, and then I did a bit of service in France. And so when I was in Paris, I had totally fallen in love with all the street music there. Like it was like, I, I've always loved music, but it kind of really solidified it there, hearing it from the French people, I guess. Um, and then I just had a distinct feeling. I was like, I should study music composition. And like, I've had no prior formal training to music. So university was my first time formally studying music. And it was, I felt like I was a kid in a candy shop. Like I was so excited to do my homework. Like it, it was, that was the first for me. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm very much self-taught in a lot of my disciplines. And so that kind of leads to more unorthodox yes. creations, which I think helps with my creativity. Ashley, tell me a little bit about the video game design. What did you win your award for? I'm fascinated by that. Yeah. Um, so that was one of my university projects. I So my major is in music composition, but I got my video game development certificate. And um, that project was we had three months to create a video game. And I was in charge of the music and sound design. And the end of the year, the two semesters, the video games were submitted for awards and the main company here in Edmonton, they selected games that won awards in different categories. And I happened to win the music and sound design award for that year. So it was, it was quite exciting. Well, congratulations. That's, that's quite an achievement. I have great respect for self-learners, self, self-taught people. And, um, I think that's where the real creativity comes when it resonates with you, right? When it's from your heart, it's from your, your soul, if you want to make it a big statement there. When it, it's really something you want to do, we will talk more to you. Thank you so much. Ben Monroe, I can't wait to hear more about you. Go ahead. <laughs> Welcome. Well, here's your chance. Hi. Uh, well, first of all, it's nice to meet all of you and, and shout out to the whole greater internet that happens to be watching us right now. Uh, you, you hit kind of the high points for me. Uh, I'm uh, essentially a lifelong Bay, San Francisco Bay Area guy. I've uh, been here as long as I can remember. Um, and I'm also a lifelong uh, fan of the horror genre. Uh, I've loved monsters since I was a kid. Uh, anything from the Wolfman to the, the Ray Harryhausen movies with the Cyclopes and dragons and all that good stuff. Loved uh, anything fantasy and monster related. Uh, my degree, uh, when I went to college in the 90s, my degree was actually in film, uh, which I did a little bit of work in the film industry around here for a while. That was kind of fun. Worked on the a few little independent movies, uh, one you might have heard of. It's called Star Wars. Not sure. Did a little bit of work on that. That was that was interesting. No one's really seen that one, though. Um, and at the same time, around through a lot of the 90s, I was doing a lot of work in the tabletop role-playing game field. That's where my game design background comes from. Uh, worked on games like uh, RuneQuest, Call of Cthulhu, uh, and All Flesh Must Be Eaten, which I think is the greatest title of a role-playing game uh, ever. <laughs> I didn't, um, I didn't have dinner yet. Okay. <laughs> Continue. Okay. I'll control myself. Yes. So, so all that kind of led into you know, a, a variety of careers. My, my sorry, career trajectory has not been uh, linear. It's bounced around like a, I don't know, an Easter bunny, maybe since it's that time of year. Um, and just a few years ago, uh, while I had been 
playing with fiction for a long time. Just a few years ago, uh, I decided to start doing that seriously. Uh, and actually, a, a, a game project contract turned into my first novel, which then snowballed into short stories when I was having a lot of fun writing fiction, and it just kind of kept going. And now my, my new book actually comes out this week. Well, congratulations. Very, very nice. Nice to meet you. I have a question for Edward and Ben, and I might be able to stretch it to what Ashley does, but Edward and Ben, are you familiar with the terms pantser versus plotter? Okay. Yes. Okay. <laughs> Edward, what are you? Which one? Or are you a hybrid? I am um, what I think is most common, which is I start with a plan which does not survive contact with the enemy, which in this case is me. So... <laughs> <laughs> I will have a, because I've typically most recently uh, my my novels are sold to to a major publisher and it's on the basis of a synopsis. I'll have a ten or twelve page synopsis, so it's kind of like an outline, but it's not as detailed as some authors I've talked to in my podcast do. Um, and then as I write, though, a lot of it comes along as I write, and I only refer back to the synopsis if I get into trouble somewhere along the way, and then I'll think, oh. Oh, maybe I should do what I originally thought I would do instead of where this dead end I've gone down. So I'm, I guess I'm kind of a hybrid. Thank you. Ben, what about you? I am absolutely 100% a pantser. <laughs> and I think that was one of the reasons that took me so long to really start doing fiction seriously was because I kept trying to, to plan too much. Mm. Uh, and I, I realized at some point I was working on an idea for a story and it just sort of dawned on me when I got to the end of the outlines, well, now I know this whole story. I don't care what happens anymore. I've, I've told the story. And for me, that's when I lose interest. And I have, you know, great respect for people who can plot and outline and do all that sort of thing. But for me, it was just, no, forget it. So now I come to a story with, you know, honestly, any random thing could set something off. It could be a visual, an image, a thought, a wouldn't it be weird if... Um, and then I, I write the story to find out what happens next and to find out how mm -hmm. the story is resolved. So you're writing the story for you to find, yes, to find out. Exactly. Uh, Ashley, a pantser is somebody who writes by the seat of their pants. A plotter is somebody who plots out or sends, sets up a synopsis, as Edward said. So in your music, in your work, do you plot everything out? Well, I know there's going to be a crescendo here and there's going to be a denouement here. Well, I'm talking about theater. But do, do you plot it or do you just let it flow? How do you do it? That's a great question. I think it, it depends on the nature of the project. More often than not, I'm a pantser for sure. <laughs> okay. I had a feeling. I want to tell you all, uh, based on what one of you just said, I read an, an interview with David Byrne from, uh, you know, from Talking Heads, the front man. He's been in the news. He's doing a lot of stuff right now. He was a guest on, on a podcast called How Ideas Happen. And he said, sometimes I have just the title of a song that comes to me and I write it down and I go, hmm. I think there's something there. And then I'll have my computer here. A whole lot of musical ideas could have a melody, a nonsense word. Ben, didn't you say a word, a thought? A nonsense sure. word, a melody awaiting. But usually I need something to start with. Hard to start from nothing. I'll accumulate, and he calls these very little beginnings. When I come back, I've got something to build on, these little musical fragments. So the author or the person who wrote this article said, take out these ideas, Make a note to yourself in a month, come back to this and develop it or do something with it. Give it 30 minutes, see where it goes. So I thought about that. I thought that was really, really cool based on 
what you all said. That's the that's the answer. Set up a little note to yourself. A little th- when I'm picking topics for my business show, anything that I read, anything that passes in front of me on on the computer, I might create a topic based on that, and then I go find people for that. Anyway, very very interesting. Thank you so much for the bios. Let's go to the quote segment of the show. I'll have a very brief background on each quote. I've asked my guest to pick a quote from a fictional movie or TV character or a song lyric. I think we've all got got all movies today. And I'm going to read the quote with just a little tiny bit of background trivia, if you will, and ask you to tell me, to expand it and tell me what it has to do with your creativity. So an interesting line Edward has picked from In the Genesis Cave, Starship Commander Kirk says to whoever Savit is, and here's the line, and this is from Star Trek to The Wrath of Khan, Part 9. That's a lot. As your teacher, Mr. Spock, is fond of saying, I like to think there are always possibilities. The word possibilities is the key here. And they say, seeing David restores hope, seeing Carol, I don't know, the background list gives closure. Finding Genesis provides life, even if Savick worries he's never faced death. This is a microcosm of Kirk's journey. So the line is, there are always dot, 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 possibilities. Edward, how'd you find this one? And what does it mean for us? I think it came to me because it's very much the way that I approach writing, that there is always some way to take the story forward. There's always some way to find an idea. There's always there's always something out there. We're not operating in a, in a vacuum where you cannot find anything to work with. And um, yeah, there are, there are always possibilities to me is very much a hopeful thing. And it, it ties into another quote that I didn't use because it's a real quote by a, a Nobel Prize winning scientist to uh, define science as to think what everyone has thought, no, to see what everyone has seen and to think what no one has thought. That idea of looking at something and thinking in a different direction. Uh, and again, there are always possibilities when you're looking at something, you don't have to be locked into that one narrow way of looking at it. There are ways to look at it in different directions. There are ways to take stories in different directions. There's ways to take your life in different directions. And uh, some possibilities, uh, you might be better than others, but there are always possibilities. Possibilities. The quote uh, from the scientist you just mentioned sounded just like something Spock would have said. It does, rather, yes. (laughs) It it really does, a.k.a. Spock. Thank you very much. Ashley has picked a quote from the Mad Hatter, played by Johnny Depp, Alice in Wonderland, 2010 American period adventure fantasy film. Used to be it was either drama or comedy. Now it's a period adventure, fantasy, some are comedy drama, some are comedy drama, sci-fi fantasies. They string so many genres together. I love it. So the real name for the Mad, do you know the real name for the Mad Hatter, Ashley? I don't. I, I didn't either. I don't think anybody <laughs> here does. Tarrant Hightop, T-A-R-R-A-N-D-A-N-T, Hightop, H-I-G-H-T-O-P-P, a.k.a. the Mad Hatter, fictional character. This in the 2016 sequel, Alice Through the Looking Glass, based on, of course, Lewis Carroll's Alice novels. The picture was directed by Tim Burton, blah, 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 produced by Walt Disney Pictures, Mia Wasikowski, Johnny Depp, Anne Hathaway, Helena Bonham Carter, Crispin Glover, so many people are in this, and voices galore. It's a live-action adaptation and reimagining of Lewis Carroll's work. 19-year-old Alice Kingsley. Falls down a rabbit hole, returns to Underland with the Mad Hatter, helps to restore the White Queen to her throne by fighting against the Red Queen and her Jabberwocky, a dragon that terrorizes Underland's inhabitants, out-habitants. Here's the quote, four words Ashley picked. 
have I gone mad? <laughs> Ashley, <laughs> rel- Ben, you can smile now. Relate that to <laughs> I'm working on you, Ben. I really am. Go, go ahead, Ashley. What does this have to do with your creativity? <laughs> <laughs> I think um, it sums it up quite well. Um, <laughs> I, I'm the kind of person that gets a lot of crazy thoughts and like a lot of crazy wild ideas that more often than not are unrealistic. Um, and I'm told that by other people. I don't think it's realistic. <laughs> and then I I often ask myself, like, have I gone crazy? Like, is this insane? And so when I was actually looking for quotes, because I actually didn't know about this quote <laughs> before, I like was scrolling down and I saw that I'm like, wow, that's me. That's me to a D. <laughs> so there you I, yeah. go. And so, sometimes that's what happens. I get, have guests on my, I do this on my business show also. They have to come up with a quote, but for a technology topic, they might pick a quote like Colonel Nathan Jessup and a few good men played by Jack Nicholson. You can't handle the truth. Great for technology and digitalization, <laughs> all that. Or they pick Jerry Maguire, show me the money. Quotes like that get, get used over and over again. But this was really, really good. I don't think anybody would have picked either of your two quotes for that show. Okay, or for those shows. Thank you very much. Let's go to Ben. Ben has picked a quote from Indiana Jones, another iconic character played by the one, the only Harrison Ford, Raiders of the Lost Ark. Of course, 1981, it's an action adventure film and they hyphenate action adventure. And Indiana Jones tells Salah, played by John Rice Davies, who asks, how will you go after the truck and save the day? And he answers, I don't know. I'm making this up as I go. And I will tell you that Raiders of the Ark, they polled the audience in advance and there was very little in interest around the world pre-release because everybody was thrilled with Superman too. Raiders became the highest grossing film of 1981, Ben. $330.5 million and some theaters kept it on their screens for more than a year. Five Oscars, seven Saturns and a BAFTA. It's considered one of the greatest films ever made. I don't know. I'm making this up as I go. Ben, how did you find this fabulous line? Go ahead. It, well, okay. So I will say that of that $330 million, I'm pretty sure at least 20 bucks came from me that year because <laughs> I saw that movie like literally over and over and over again, right? I mean, I loved it. And and that quote, Indiana Jones, you know, I'm making it up as I go. That's one that I kind of actually, in, in my regular life, I use that a lot. I it, It's sort of, to me, it's kind of the essence of creativity is trying something different. This isn't working. Let's do that. Um, and very much leads into what you asked earlier, as far as me you know, being a, a pantser, quote unquote. Um, I like just seeing where things go, when, especially when I'm writing, doing anything creative, going with as little of plan as possible. Like, again, you know, an image, a thought, a, 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 an instigating moment. I've even started stories where I had the closing line uh, and wrote an entire story just to get to that point. Like, oh, this is such a great finishing image. How can I get there? And for me, uh, I think I said this a minute ago, for me, you know, part of the fun of, of the creative process is the meandering. It's the wandering. It's it's getting lost in the weeds and seeing where does all this, where is it going? <laughs> so that's that's my little Indiana Jones moment there. Making it up as I go is just the way I, the way I get stuck in things. 
I love it. Well, that's the improv of our lives, isn't it? That's we're just right. figuring out as we go along. You all picked wonderful quotes, by the way. I really, the possibilities from the Kirk quote and the Have I Gone Mad from the Mad Hatter quote and making it up as I go along from the Indiana Jones. What wonderful quotes the three of you picked. Thank you for doing that. I'm sure you don't get asked that on many of your shows you're on and many of the media interviews. So, this is a different place. Okay. I have gone mad, Ashley. Trust me. So let's go to the part of the show where I have asked each of you to send me four statements on what creativity means to you. Okay. And you sent me four and they're very interesting. And I'm going to read one or two from each of you and ask the originator to comment and unpack as we say in the, we say on the new show. But when after they're done unpacking it for a couple minutes, if anybody else has a comment, if there's anything that's a commonality, anything resonates with you, you got five fingers on each hand. One finger is the not nice one. You can wiggle any of the other four fingers at me and I will call you. Ashley like that. Ben still isn't sure he's going to smile on that one. Ben, that was a joke, but it's true. <laughs> okay, so here we go. Ben, you got to forgive me. Tell Mickey, tell Mickey, I really, really I, I think you. when I start listening, my face just rests, you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So, Edward Sand, I'm reading your statements number one and two, Edward, which I previewed a little bit before we started the show. I like both of you. You say creativity is using imagination to produce something that never existed before. And I'm combining it with statement number two. Creativity takes the raw clay of the world as experienced by an individual and molds it into a completely new shape. And then in number three, you say, we're not only reshaping the world, we're shaping ourselves. That's heavy stuff. Edward, tell me, unpack this for me. How'd you come up with these? I like them. Um, it's because I think as writers, we are all working with the same raw material. The only thing you have to work with is what you have experienced. The only world that you have experienced is this world. And yet we take what we have around us in the way of the seasons and animals and people and sounds and everything that we've experienced and we break it down and reshape it into something brand new, into a new world, new experiences, new people that never existed before in science fiction and fantasy, new creatures, new everything that never existed before. Uh, and yet we're still drawing on that same core clay of the world around us. And that's the image that came to me. And I actually have one reason it came to me is because I have a, a book series called The World Shapers. And it was actually on the very first book. The cover is of this woman shaping the world on a, on a, uh, uh, not a kiln, the other thing. <laughs> a wheel. <laughs> a wheel. <laughs> wheel. Uh, I like the way you got to the wheel. That was really, really cool. Uh, did, did I mention I was an art minor? I actually did pottery too. So I think I'm I know not, that. I'm not uh, surprised. Uh, Keep going That's where that all came from, that idea of, of, of taking the raw material of the world and, and turning it into something brand new that never existed before. I like that. And, and it does, reshaping yourself was an interesting part of that comment. Can you tell me a little more about that? And then I'll see if Ben and Ashley have anything to say. How, how is that reshape the individual who is molding the clay, Edward? What do you think? I think whenever you create anything, whenever you do any kind of art, whether it's music, whether it's performance, whether it's writing, you are shaping yourself. You are manipulating your own brain. You're creating new patterns in your brain, new connections, new pathways. And that can't help but have an impact on you. And, and the mere act of thinking through what you are creating uh, alters you in some way, hopefully, hopefully for the better. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much. And that's a very subjective term too, isn't it? For the better. It's who, who's, who's better. We'll leave that one. That's a whole other show. Thank you very much. Ashley or Ben, anything you want to say to Edward? Yeah, Ashley, go ahead. Yeah. I, I love that. Like 
it's it really resonated with me because as I go about creating things or working on my various projects, I often draw upon other sources of inspiration, whether it be other works of art, mood boards, or even emotional experiences. And I think that's, I think that really hits on something that's really beautiful about art is that it offers the audience viewing the art to have a change of perspective on that experience that the artist is creating. So for example, if there's a, a sad scene or something, it could be twisted in a light that it actually is more beautiful than heart-wrenching. It, it I, I don't know if that makes sense, but I really resonate with that quote. It does make sense. And when you think that we all perceive things through our, our own lens and our lens is our experience, it's it's how we got to this moment in time, how we see something that nobody else came that to that path or that journey. Ben, anything you want to say? You don't have to, but I think you want to. Go ahead. No, yeah. I, I mean, thinking about connections, it's, it's always interesting to me how when you're thinking about one thing, if you just let your mind associate, pre-associate, I guess is the term, and bounce from one idea to another, you know, where you can go with these ideas. Um, real quick, I had a, I wrote a story a couple of summers ago that the genesis of that was thinking about uh, a media property and where that character came from in that story, the genesis of, of, of his origin, and how it had been aped and mimicked by a couple other shows that had, you know, got on a similar direction. Uh, got me going off on a whole completely different tangent. And I wrote this story based on just thinking about these, you know, completely somewhat connected, but fairly uh, disparate TV shows. Interesting. Um, I, I'm going to connect to my experience. I did stand-up comedy and improv with some teachers in New York many years ago. I took I took a three-week comedy class, and then I was on stage at Caroline's, a famous comedy club on 54th Street. And, and uh, yeah, with an audience of a couple hundred people, we had to get all our friends and family to come and pay, so it was real. And there were about 15 of us who were scared out of our minds and a couple of professionals who opened and closed the show. Um, but I have no idea why I was telling you this. I'll come back to my, <laughs> I had so much fun telling a story. Uh, something about improv. Oh, yeah. Um, I took a, an improv class from Michael Gelman, who was with Chicago Second City, and he was in New York, and he, he did a paid class, and I took the class. Very, very interesting. And I took a class from, I think her name was Judy Carter. But they told us, when you're going to improv, if you're going to create a character, not just walking on a stage and doing, like, whose line is it anyway, but a character, you have to know, Ben, who is that character? Where'd they grow up? What do they have for breakfast? What kind of newspaper do they read? Or podcast do they listen to? You have to know what kind of shoes they wear. You have to know where they went to school. You have to create that character. and You have to know everything about them if you're going to be improving or creating a, a version of that character. And I would imagine in a story like you do and like Edward does, you would have to create the whole persona. Am I right, both of you, Ben or, or Edward? Do you, do you create a whole, in other words, here's the box and here's who Bob Jones is, not Indiana, Bob Jones. And this is, if you want to know what did Bob have for breakfast yesterday, you would know. Is, do you do that? I think that the process is very much as, as an actor as well. Um, it, it's very much the same is that you're simply putting yourself into the head of that person yes. and making them come alive. Whether I know that granular detail or not, uh, if it doesn't figure into the story, I don't know it. But if it comes up in the story, then I know it in the moment when I need it. There so, you go. There yeah. you go. Ben, anything? Uh... I think kind of the, the running theme with me is I, I tend to go in kind of with a vague idea of who a character might mm -hmm. be, like who this person looks like, what's he doing right now? And then as I write about them, 
I find out more details about them. Like, you know, I don't want to say the character tells me what he has for breakfast or what he's wearing, but like, oh, he seems like the kind of guy that would be wearing this kind of outfit. He seems like the kind of person that would have had this for breakfast. And, you know, I learn about them. Once again, I learn about them as I'm going along. They they talk to you. Okay. I appreciate that. Thank you. Thank you very much. Let's move on. Ashley, I'm looking at your creativity statement number one. I think we're all going to enjoy this. I'll read it. Don't have to look for it. You say creativity thrives within restrictions and limitations. They push us to search for solutions beyond our boundaries and explore ideas we wouldn't have thought of otherwise. Without limitations, creativity would be stifled. I'm going to stop there. There's more. Ashley, this is a very interesting perspective. I don't think anybody has ever said it quite that way on my show. So talk to us. What do you think? Um, when I first heard that limitations is kind of, is something that helps creativity, that was during my studies. And I hated hearing that because <laughs> basically that meant it was kind of like a precursor to my professor saying, here are your limitations and it's going to be difficult. I'm like, no, I want to do what I want to do. But I've learned um, that actually, you know, when I have restrictions, so like I have to write for only tenor saxophone and it has to be a two minute piece and it has to be avant-garde. So you can't use traditional notation Mm -hmm. and be like, holy cow, like, um, how do I do that? And way out of my comfort zone. But but then that's actually what gets my brain thinking. Um, Because I find if if I have no limitations, then I automatically default to what's comfortable to me, which will be a piano piece. And that's something I've done over and over again. And that's not very creative at that point, because I'm not thinking of something entirely new or different. Interesting. So you're you're going falling back on the piano piece because it's in your comfort zone it's what you know so but in a way aren't you putting your own limitation on creativity you're saying it's okay to do this just for piano probably (laughs) (laughs) that's deep (laughs) i'm sorry i'm thinking edward ben you want to rescue me here anybody have a comment for ashley (laughs) ben I, I actually really enjoy limitations sometimes. Yeah. Um, and it's one of the things I like, you know, I've written two novels now and they were a lot of fun, um, but a, a bunch of short stories. And every one of them that I wrote was pretty much, uh, I, I saw a call, somebody's like, we want short stories about this and they have to be this length, you know, within these certain restrictions. Um, and I never write anything unless uh, when I see that theme coming from it, I'm like, wow, this really looks like something I want to do. This is out of my wheelhouse, or this is something I know about. Um, and just having those, you know, you have to write to this theme. You have to write, you know, with only, you know, two to 5,000 words or whatever, really allows me to focus uh, and not go sprawling and also, you know, kind of contain things in, in the, an interesting way and, and sometimes try stuff I might not have tried before. Interesting, which echoes what Ashley said in her statement. Edward, you want to comment? Yeah, and I think the classic example of of restrictions uh, helping uh, creativity is actually in formal forms of poetry. So you think of haiku, uh, mm-hmm. not the not not the anime about volleyball, but <laughs> the short poems. Um, you there, you know, that's a very strict form, and yet some yes. great work is done in that. Or sonnets are another example. I love writing mm-hmm. sonnets. Uh, when I write poetry, I like that kind of formal thing. And another example is I, I'm, I just finished writing a draft of a musical book for somebody who came to me with the songs and the story. And uh, there's restrictions built into that because I'm also a director and an actor. And the whole time I was writing it, I was thinking, okay, he wants to have the entire nose cone of a crashed bomber on stage, and we're not going to do that. <laughs> 
in the theater that I know that this is likely to be done in. So you think of ways that you can work around these kind of grand multi-million dollar budget ideas and how you can make it work on stage. And in doing that, you find ways to advance the story without maybe the massive special effects or whatever might be be called for. So uh, it just has a way of uh, focusing your mind and making you come up with new uh, new approaches to things, restrictions to you had me at multi-million dollar budgets. I'm sorry. I stopped, I stopped listening at that point. I said, what? Okay. Thank you, Ashley. See what you did? You started a wonderful conversation around the table with your statement. I appreciate you. Let's go to something from Ben. Ben, I'm looking at statement number one. I like this. Very interesting. You say, creativity to me is often about asking the question, what if? Observing a normal event, I don't know what's normal anymore, and beginning to wonder about how it could get strange or go off the rails in unexpected directions. I love the what if. Ben, talk to me. Um, so, yeah, you know, I, I, I love, and people tease me in my real life you know, sometimes about, you know, somebody will say something, oh, yeah, but what, and I'll come back with, well, what if this other really peculiar thing happened? Or, you know, and it just, what can you do to, to do the, to bring the unexpected into your work. I think it was you know, Raymond Chandler, a uh, writer who said at some point, um, when you're stuck for an idea for where your book is going, have two guys with guns come in and start shooting. Now, you know, he was a, a pulp writer, uh, but to me, I've always taken that as like, what's the most off the wall thing that could happen right now? Things have slowed down. Where, how does this get crazy? How does this get really weird? Um, and so looking for those what if moments, if your project is stagnating or you're just not quite sure where to go next, like what's something that would happen that would be weird? And you might write that and you might compose that, you know, add that element to your piece and, and realize a few steps down the road that that part really stank. But, you know, it, it gets you moving again. It gets you, you know, going in a direction you might not have thought, thought about before. And that's what you want. You want to keep yourself malleable and you want to keep yourself creative, right? You want to keep going to stay loose within those restrictions, right? Million dollar budget man and right, Ashley, I'm going to play the piano. The heck with you. Thank you very much. You know, I'm going to sneak in one more here. I have some famous birthdays and silly holidays, but we have time. I'm going to sneak in one more from Ashley because this was a very telling statement. Number three, you sent me and she says, there is not a person who exists who is not creative. Oh my. Ashley, go tell it on the mountain there. Talk to me. <laughs> How do we explain this to people? Because I meet a lot of people say, oh, well, I paint, I do this, I carve, I garden, but I'm not a creative person. It's like, are you kidding me? Ashley, <laughs> back it up. Go ahead. Well, welcome to my TED Talk. Uh, <laughs> I like, yeah, it, every, I've come across a lot of people that say, oh, I'm not creative. You're so creative. I'm like, well, thank you for saying that I'm creative, but you're also creative. Like, Getting up in the morning and deciding what to wear, like that's a very creative thing. That's art. You're dressing yourself. You're adorning yourself in colors and patterns and fabrics. Like cooking, cooking a meal. They're like, oh, I'm not creative. I'm following a recipe. I'm like, well, how you follow the recipe? That could be a creative process. Everybody does it differently. If you screw it up, that means you were creative. Like, <laughs> and so I, I feel like I, I, I like to challenge people to push what they what they think creative means and try to be more creative of how they think about creativity, I guess, because it, it really is kind of limitless, really, because we're all we all think differently and perceive things differently. Absolutely. I like that. Any comments from anybody? Edward. 
I'll, uh, this is interesting because as I mentioned, my wife is an engineer and she was, and so this is her story, but she was at an engineering conference and one of the questions around the table, I don't know what they were talking about overall, was uh, everybody to rate themselves as creative or not. And she thought, well, my husband writes science fiction, so he's probably like a nine or a 10, but she put herself at a six or a seven. And she was actually shocked because there were people at the table that put themselves as non-creative. They said, well, I'm a... I'm a systems engineer. My entire purpose is to make sure that the systems do exactly the same thing all the time. And she she argued with them, much like Ashley has just said, that uh, no, everyone is creative, but people don't see themselves as creative. And I think that's that's kind of sad, actually. Well, I think it takes a re-education process, and I'll tell you why. I, I started out my first career, one of five or six or seven, I've lost count. I was a mainframe computer programmer analyst, Edward, back in the day. I'm considered an early woman in tech. And last year, Ashley, on March 8th, 2022, I was the kickoff speaker for the Women in Big Data organization. And I was telling them what it was like to be a coder and an analyst back in the day. They had never heard of a mainframe. They had no idea what a key punch machine was. They didn't know what what a, a, a core dump looked like, green bar paper. Edward, I hope you're appreciating some of what I'm saying. And uh, people say, I, well, I was a programmer. To me, give me a blank piece of paper. Tell me I have to have a report that does X, Y, and Z for this particular department or audience or school. Was I was programming for the Community College Division of the State of Oregon. It was a, a big job, actually, my first one out of school. And I had to create that program. I had to pick the words. I had to pick the flow. I had to pick whether it was top-down program, programmed in COBOL at that time. And I had to design that program. And my program was never going to look like Ben's. And it was never going to look like Edward's. And it was going to never look like Ashley. The creativity was how do you take the science and mold it into your interpretation to get the results. You might have five people who created programs all got the same exact report, but we all got there differently. So there is absolutely engineering. Yes, I'm glad your wife at least made a six or seven on her her assessment there, and she should have told the others. I want to read one more quickly here, and then we're going to do some famous birthdays and holidays. Ben, I'm picking on you. You say, Uh not having such an ego that I assume every idea I have is great. It takes self-awareness to separate the bad ideas from the good ones. I find that when an idea hits me, if it's one that I continue to think about a lot over the following days and weeks, that means... It's something I want to explore more. Reminds me of David Burns' comment about those little beginnings. You put them away and then you explore them. Just briefly, how do you know when an idea is good or bad and how much do you invest in that part of your creativity? Oh, boy. You know, sometimes you don't know until after you've done it, after you've given it a shot. Um, you know, I mentioned earlier when you, you asked the what if question, you might come up with something good and you might come up with, well, what if this is terrible? And, <laughs> and you know, there, there's definitely been times uh, in my current book, there was, I think I was maybe 10 or 20,000 words into it when I realized I had two characters that didn't even need to be in the book. They just were taking up space. And so I, I hit the brakes there before I went any further and just excised them completely from the story. Uh, I probably cut two or three chapters that was maybe, you know, I don't know, five or 6,000 words I'd written um, that just didn't need to be there, I realized. I thought they were going someplace and they were they were not. Uh, and, and you know, it sucks and you you, you feel sad because you, you spent some time working on that. But at some point, you just kind of say, you know, is this serving the purpose of, of the art, of the creation? And if not, get it out of there, make it better. Did you save those passages to put in another book where those characters would fit? 
actually. Yes, uh, one of the chapters <laughs> has turned into, uh, How did it's I been know? changed around a lot, but it's turned into part of the chapter of a new book that I'm working on. I had a feeling, always be efficient with your what you do. Edward, any quick comments on what Ben said? Uh, yeah, that, that sort of thing happens all the time. I think one of the, the, the things you have to learn as a writer, and I'm an editor as well, and that is to find those things that aren't working and to ruthlessly get rid of them. Kill your, kill your darlings, I think is what it's sometimes said. Right. Just because you thought it was a good idea when you first started putting that in there doesn't mean it is by the time you get further into the story and see how it is working or not working. Well, I discovered by talking to some some people on one of my business shows, we're talking about novels, human novelists versus AI novelists. We're talking about ChatGPT, and they were talking about their star detectives in their books. And I realized I'm writing a, a comedy murder mystery, and I'm having so much fun with the comedy part, I forgot to solve the murder or, or finish it up. It was the first thing I wrote, and then I just wrote around it. It's up to about 25,000 words. It's going to be a novella. But I forgot to have a detective, and I realized I was missing the person who was going to analyze the so-called crime scene. So I thought... How do I want to name this detective? So I took combination of my mother's nickname for herself and my dad's first name abbreviated and my mother's real name initial and I created the character who's going to be the detective and I felt so much better. But in my case, a key part of the story was missing. I forgot to put her in there. And I have to use a nom de plume because if anybody knew it, it was I who was writing it, they would run me out of several states, I will tell you that. <laughs> so let's go to some famous birthdays. You all remember Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. Well, in memoriam, Fred Rogers was born. Uh, he was born this day in 1928. TV host, author, talk about prolific, Edward. Producer, he was a minister, creator, showrunner, host of the series, Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. And so we miss you, Mr. Rogers. Spike Lee was born today. Anybody know how old Spike Lee might be? Anybody have a guess? 70. Not quite. A little bit less. I'd say mid-60s, maybe. <laughs> yeah, 66. There you go. And one year younger than Spike Lee is Holly Hunter, who won Best Actress Academy Award in 1993 for The Piano. I remember that. She's been in a lot of movies. Kathy Ireland is only 60, author, entrepreneur, fashion designer, philanthropist, former fashion supermodel. Do you know how many Sports Illustrated swimsuit issues she was in, Kathy Ireland? Anybody have a guess? Anybody a Sports Illustrated? Good. I can see none of you reads it, neither do I. She was in 13 issues and three covers. That apparently is a big deal. Now let's get to the fun birthdays, the really fun. There's a, uh, a young man named Matthew Nichols, N-I-C-H-O-L-S, who's 21 today, who is on TikTok. The only reason I'm telling you that is because he has 1.3 million fans. Okay. He, yeah, he, I do this every week with pe young people who've got, or old people who've got amazing pants. Original sketch comedy. He does dubs, montages, and memes. He was signed by Next Step Talent. We have to tell Mickey about that. He has photos of everyday life and he has, has created paid partnerships with fashion brands, including Hinge. I have no idea what that is. Then we have a woman named Cassa D, K A S S A. D-E-E, -E, one word, capital D, Parker. She's a member of the family channel, Not Enough Nelsons. I don't know why. She has 14 siblings and parents, and they share their vlogs, their skits, challenges, their dance videos. She only has 2 million subscribers. She also has an Instagram channel for her beauty makeup. She does makeup. Okay. And then lastly, speaking of Insta, we have Instagram. Oh, she's 24. Uh, Tasia Alexis is 25 today. Now, she's the winner of the birthday roulette here. She only has more than 3.6 million followers. 
on Vine. That's where she started. Then she went into Instagram. She's a newcomer. She only has 800,000 followers on Instagram. Ashley, can you believe this? She is one of, was one of the fastest growing Vine celebrities, and she has a merchandise line. We call it merch now. I got to get my merch. And it's gorgeous by Tasia Alexis. So I just want you to know, I find these people who've got between one and 20 million or even a billion followers. Are we impressed that these young people, Edward, what do you think? Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. That was a, a Ben. You want to say anything? Don't you wish you had 3.6 million followers, Ben? I'm only slightly bitter. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much. Events it and music. Exhausting. It, it, it re- well, all they do is just post this stuff and people say, oh, that's really cool. Uh, let's do the. All right. Music history. 1959. The Platters. Smoke gets in your eyes. Is anybody here old enough? Ashley, you're not. Smoke gets in your eyes. In 1959, so not quite. There you, there you go. Well, the Platters did a rendition of a 1933 song, and it topped the UK singles charts. It reached number one in Australia, the U.S., Canada, South Africa, and Italy. It was a good song. Smoke, it's in your eyes. Beautiful song, 1959. Elvis, his second number one single of the year in the U.S. in 1961 with Surrender. And Are You Lonesome Tonight topped the Billboard Hot 100 on January 2nd that year. 1965, the soundtrack for the James Bond movie, Goldfinger. Anybody remember that one? Started three weeks at number one on the U.S. Billboard 200. In 1971, we're moving up in time. Janis Joplin, five months after she died, her song, Me and Bobby McGee, hit number one on the Billboard Hot 100. There you go. So much for being remembered. Uh, Let's see now. The London Palladium Theater in 1977 banned Lou Reed. Anybody know who Lou Reed is? Probably, mm-hmm. yeah. He, they Because he had a punk and rebellious image. I don't know what the Palladium was thinking of. In 1982, Joan Jett and the Blackhearts hit number one on the U.S. Billboard for seven weeks with I Love Rock and Roll, Play a Little Dong on the Jukebox, Babe. Yeah, anybody remember that one? Oh, yeah. Ashley's, okay, good. Oh, yeah. Uh, the new wave band, The Jam. Anybody remember The Jam? 1982, they had the number one album on the U.K. album chart, The Gift. And in 1991, Michael Jackson signed a $1 billion contract with Sony Music, the biggest contract in music history. Ashley, I wish for you even a fracture of fra- a fracture of that. There you go, a fracture. <laughs> Let me give you some famous holidays. Today is, we got, t- we got six minutes. I'll do it slowly. Today is Act Happy Day. In 2004, somebody named Dr. Dale Anderson believed acting happy could make a positive change in our lives. Do you find that, Ashley? Acting happy makes you feel good? I'd say so. Even if you don't feel it? Ben, what about you? Do you smile and feel happier? Yeah, usually. As he says with a completely (laughs) straight face. (laughs) Edward is smiling. At least one of you. Edward, do you feel better when you smile? I think so, although my natural resting face in videos is always Okay. I don't believe that for a second. Today is National Storytelling Day. Well, you're all telling stories either through print or or digital, and Ashley is telling stories through music. Storytelling dates back to the Stone Age, cave paintings, drawings, messages, remnants of our ancient knowledge around the past. Populations expanded, moved across borders, carried experiences in stories to the next generations, and then people started writing fiction, make-believe and imagination. In Sweden in 1991, they started celebrating something called Alla Baratara, dog worldwide phenomenon that's storytelling day okay in honor of mr rogers today is won't you be my neighbor day the first episode of mr rogers started in 1958 and it was also taken from the holiday sweater day anybody know why sweater day Fred Rogers always wore a red sweater on. Yes. In 1984, he donated his red sweater to the Smithsonian National Museum. Did you know that, Ben? 
Red Rogers. Mm-hmm. I've seen it. But yeah. Today is also World Frog Day. Frog, the tailless amphibians dating back 256 million years. They were valued as food and cultural roles in literature, symbolism, and religion. Anybody know how many species are known of frogs? Lots. 6,000. <laughs> Anybody know how many are world? <laughs> how many are in the world except Antarctica? 4,800. And 170 species have become extinct. Oh, well, stop eating frog legs. I don't say. It's National Bubble Week. It was started, soap was invented in 3000 BC by the Sumerians. In the 17th century, U.S. started to manufacture soap in the colonies, and then detergent. Anybody know why detergent was started, was created in 1916? people were dirty. The war, the <laughs> war shortages, World War One. the war yeah. shortages led to the invention of detergents by synthesis. It's also Kiss Your Fiance Day. It's National Proposal Day. It's National Ravioli Day. I'll pass on that one. It's National Vanessa Day. If you know anybody named Vanessa, wish her happy Vanessa Day, not happy birthday. It's the spring equinox. We I, now you are you all in Canada by the way? Mm-mm. No, you're not California, the other sea place. Cal- okay, Edward, Cal- <laughs> Canada, Edward. Yes. And Ashley, so did you no. celebrate um, daylight savings time this past weekend? We not in Saskatchewan. We don't change. You don't. We what? we change. So it's still <laughs> it's still light out. It's still light Everybody out. Everybody changes yes. around us. It's really confusing. But <laughs> That's weird. Phoenix, Arizona doesn't change either in the U.S. I don't um, think Indianapolis does either. And it's National Cherry Blossom Festival. So I want to give you all a chance. We have three minutes left, and that's a world of time. Three minutes. Thank you very much, Josh. He put it in the notes for me. Where can people find you, Edward? Is it edwardwillett.com? You can find me at edwardwillett.com. You can find the World Shapers at theworldshapers.com. And uh, you can find my publishing company, Shadowpaw Press, at shadowpawpress.com. And I'm going to read your website, E-D-W-A-R-D-W-I-L-L-E-T-T. Edward Willett, two L's, two T's, dot com. Thank you. Ashley, where can people find you? I can sort of see it, but tell us. <laughs> yeah, I very creatively placed my website there. Yes. Um, it's awekasert.com. <laughs> A, the letter A, W-E-C-K-E-S-S-E-R.com. Like kisser, but with an E. Forgive me for that, Ashley. <laughs> ben Monroe, you don't have any labels there, my friend. What, where, what are we going to find you, Ben? BenMonroe.com. B-E-N. a theme here. B-E-N-M-O-N-R-O-E dot com. Okay, let's do my closing. We've got two minutes. And thank you to Josh at Voice America Radio for getting us on the air. Don't go away, and you're going to stay for pictures. Okay, here's my closing. Right on time. Life is short. Break the rules. Forgive quickly. Kiss slowly. It's the only way. Love truly. Laugh uncontrollably. On the count of three, I want you to join me in a big laugh. Uncontrollably. Ben, force yourself. One, two, three. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. That was good. And never regret anything that made you smile. And the final closing is work like you don't need the money because actually nobody else really cares. If you need it, get it done. Dance like no one's watching. But when I was teaching disco in high heels on top of a Formica table in a high school auditorium in Eugene, Oregon... Everybody watch. No, I didn't fall. Thank you, Ben. Sing like nobody's listening. I only sang two little songs on the show tonight. Not too bad. And love like you've never been hurt because we all have. Get over it. Let your heart get back together. Grow again and find another or more love. There you go. Money talks. Chocolate sings. La. And last but not least, and I stole this line from somebody else as we say goodbye. Remember, don't go away, panel. It's time for pictures. Thank you for turning me on. Radio Red signing off, everybody. Thanks again for tuning in to Read My Lips Radio presented by the Voice America Variety Channel. 
tweet your questions and comments to at Radio Red 777. Join host, a.k.a. Radio Red, again next Monday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. We wish you a positively cool, creative week.